as we've said, we've said it for the past several weeks, shoot, we've said it for a year, right? We are glad that 2020 is over, right? Steve said it this morning, 2021. I mean, have you ever been so happy to see a new year? Have you ever? No, I, I know you haven't. I mean, it may not be the worst year in history because, I mean, if you look back at history, there have been some bad years. But in most of our lifetimes, we've probably never seen so many bad things happen in one calendar year. And so it's kind of encouraging to see it be gone. 2021. Everybody say it with me. 2021. Woo! We're excited about it, right? It's different. We spent a lot of time as not just a church family, not just as individuals, but as people all across the country, people all across the world, because this has been worldwide, right? So many bad things, it seems, happen. We've been hating on 2020, and rightfully so. Um, how many of you guys, uh, you know, if you're on social media or something, you may have seen the memes that people were posting for a few days leading up to New Year's Eve, where they had, you know, something to the effect of, you know, what's going to happen at, you know, midnight on, on New Year's Eve? Is it going to roll over to, like... Uh, 1160 instead of you know 1200 you know or is it going to be uh december 32nd or something like that rather than turn over to a new year because that would just be the 20th 20th thing to happen right and so i if we're being honest okay now you know not everybody in here is mature but a lot of us are mature enough to remember uh y2k does anybody remember the fear going into y2k you know, it was probably worse this year, wondering if we're actually going to begin a new year. But thank God we did. Thank God we did. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to be discouraging. But I will say this. If you're hoping that everything is automatically just going to be different this year, and there's going to be no bad news, there's going to be no discouraging times, I hate to tell you, you're going to be disappointed. If, if you think that somehow mystically or magically that all the bad stuff that happened to 2020 was tied to the calendar, I hate to tell you, but you're going to be disappointed. And I, I hope and pray, I hope and pray that we won't have as many bad things happen in 2021 as we saw happen in 2020. But I'm telling you, if that's what your hope is, is that because the calendar says something different, that everything's just going to be magically and mystically better, you're going to be disappointed. And I'll even tell you this, if you, if you hope that that's the case, then your hope's tied to the wrong thing. And this is not meant to be negative. This is not meant to be discouraging. I hope it's actually encouraging what I want to talk to you about today. But we've got to realize that our hope is not in a calendar. Our hope is not in an elected official. Our hope is not in a stimulus package. Our hope is not in, in civil uh, unrest or uh, uh, things being okay. Our hope is in none of that except it's in Jesus Christ. And that's who our hope has to be in. C.S. Lewis said a quote that I love. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you spend your life looking for hope and you never ever find it, maybe you're looking in the wrong place. Maybe this world doesn't have any of the hope that you would like to have because you're not made for this world. I'm not made for this world. We are made for home in heaven. And until Jesus comes back and makes everything right, nothing will be completely right. It can get better, 
but chances are there's going to be some times when it's worse. I mean, this year has been the testimony to that. And, and many people love, you know, um, I don't know, you know, uh, I saw a lot of people post on Facebook uh, over the past few weeks about asking people for scripture ideas to put in a journal. And I, I wonder how many people are actually doing the journal or if they was the day the third. They might have done it for the first and the second, <laughs> you know, if they've, you know, New Year's resolutions are tough. But a lot of people love certain scripture references, and, and you may have a life verse. My favorite verse, and I guess I could call it my life verse, is uh, Hebrews 10.39. For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. We're not people who live in fear, but we push forward in Jesus' name, is basically the idea it gets. But one per, or a lot of people's favorite verse is Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29, 11. People love that verse. It says something dependent on translation. It says something for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And a lot of people love that verse. They quote that verse. You know, you might have it on pillows. You might have it on signs. You might have it on, I don't know, T-shirts. I mean, it, the list is, is limitless of stuff that people put that verse on. But I hate to also, I told you I wasn't going to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm going to do it again. Most people understand that verse out of context. And if you're looking for that verse to be a fix-all, you know, if you just say it or quote it or put it on enough stuff, on enough hand towels, you know, uh, you know I don't know what you're going to do with it. But if you put it on enough stuff or you say it enough stuff, then, then good things will happen. It, it falls into the line of sort of like a health and wealth gospel where people, you know, if you just have enough faith, then everything will be good and everything will be fixed and everything will be healed. But one of the things, and I won't spend too much time on this, but one of the things I wish that some of the people who just say that they can name and claim people's healing like that, I wish they'd just go to a children's hospital. <laughs> that, that would be the best thing. That would be the best thing to do. And, and we know that sometimes life is tough. This whole year has proven it. But this verse is oftentimes taken out of context. And the verse is encouraging. It is inspiring. But you've got to understand it to the way it was written to who it was written to first if you really want to understand the depth of it. It is inspiring, it is encouraging, but it was written first by God, but through the hands and through the, the mouth, so to speak, of a prophet. His name was Jeremiah. And if you got your Bibles or you're looking on your phone, you can go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. We're going to go to a couple of other places. But Jeremiah 29. But Jeremiah had a nickname that stuck to this day. Does anybody know what that nickname was? The weeping prophet. He's not the most encouraging dude in the world. Now, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't bad. God had it for his ministry to just tell the truth and mourn and lament over how the people were leaving God and rebelling against God. And most of his ministry was during the Babylonian uh, captivity of God's people where Babylon came in. They swept in. You, got, you might remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He's a big player in, in Jeremiah's story. He swoops in and they take all a lot of captives out of Israel to Babylon and so that's most of Jeremiah's ministry the people of God aren't where they're supposed to be and so his ministry is a difficult one where he's dealing with a lot of difficult things and so what we see is this guy the weeping prophet is telling you something now first and foremost you want to consider the source of who's saying what to you so if the weeping prophet is saying this you might want to understand the context he was writing to fellow Jews that had been taken captive and led to Babylon because of their own sin and rebellion. 
They had been rebelling against God, worshiping other gods, and they were taken from their homeland and taken to Babylon. And this is who he's writing to. And if you back up one verse before Jeremiah 29, 11, it gives you a lot more context that, that you need. Unfortunately, people don't put this one on pillows a lot in t-shirts. Look at verse 10 if you're there with me in Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Did you catch the timeline? Did you catch the timeline? 70 years. It is good news. It is, I know the plans I have for you. God is saying, I know the plans I have for you, plans to, you know, to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. But if you're expecting it tomorrow, buckle up, buttercup. I mean, that's what he's saying. If you're expecting instantaneous results, you need to be careful. Do not hold your breath because you will be passed out on the floor. You know, do not expect it to happen right here and right now. And, and that is not all that encouraging to me. How many of you are like, you know, um, you know, some of y'all might have felt that way as, as the government and, you know, Congress and all that was debating about how much money we, we deserve, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing of our money that we pay in taxes. How much are they going to be kind enough to give us back? And you're wondering, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know, what if they said, well, we're going to give you a little something. We're going to throw you a little change in 70 years, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's and that's kind of the way they operate. Right. You know, I mean, our, our children are going to be paying for it in 70 and 80 years. But, okay, I'm not trying to get political, but anyway, you know, we all can agree that politicians are the enemy a lot of times. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. 70 years of captivity. Sometimes life stinks. Sometimes life stinks. Sometimes life stinks for a year, doesn't it? I mean, there have been good things. And you guys have heard this. I've, I've said it. Y'all have said it. You've seen it in different places. I'm not the first one to come up with this. But I hope and pray that 2020 taught you how much you need to be thankful for and how precious it is to be with church family, to have family that you can hug and, and hold and laugh together and the list is just endless of the things that I hope and pray that your eyes were open to that you had to be grateful for even when life is difficult but life can be horrible sometimes sometimes life can stink for a whole year and sometimes life can stink for 70 years you know the, they say the average lifespan now is roughly about 70 years there were people who may have spent their entire lives in captivity in Babylon and I told you, I'm not trying to, to crush your spirit. But I got a question that I want to ask you. What if nothing changes? What if nothing changes in 2021 compared to how it was in 2020? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to quit? Many have. Many have just sort of quit and they've just sort of withdrawn and, and pulled inside themselves. I, you know, I, I shared a statistic that was done by uh, the Gallup uh, pollsters. You know, they are not a religious organization, but they every year do a 
poll based on people's mental health and they asked people if they thought their mental health and their their mood and their attitude was better or worse than it was the year before and they break it down in all sorts of demographics do you know the only only category the only demographic that showed any increase any improvement in their feelings of mental health was people who attended church on a regular basis and it even was so specific, it didn't just say people who attended church, it said people who attend church on almost a weekly basis. And it, the people that attended, you know, once or twice a month, they did not see an increase. It broke it down into that. And then people that attended every once every few months, they also did not see an increase. The only category of people in the United States, they broke it down in male and female and all sorts of demographics. The only people that saw any increase in, in a feeling of mental health improvement were people who attended church on a regular basis. I say, duh, <laughs> you know, it didn't really surprise me. But even after this year, I was kind of wondering because it's been hard for all of us. And in my family, we ended 2020 in the 2020th way you could. The last couple weeks were some of the worst weeks for us, you know, and, and I'm not not saying anything. I'm not whining because I know some people had much worse years than we did. But for us, it was tough. And I know, though, that when we focus on our relationship with Jesus, we have to keep our eyes on him. And that's the only thing that will help our lives. What if nothing changes in 2021? What are you going to do about it? The isolation that we've all been through has been so tough. It seems like there's an endless stream of bad news. So the question is, do you just sort of give up? Well, let's see what Jeremiah and God said to the people of Israel in the midst of their trials. The first thing he says is this. This is my words, but we'll see what it says in Scripture. Don't withdraw, advance. He says, don't withdraw, advance. When things get bad, when you get more bad news, don't withdraw within, don't retreat, don't back up, don't quit, don't give in, advance. Look at Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So this is all pre, uh, leading up to Jeremiah 29, 11, that often quoted, but sort of taken out of context verse. What he says, what God says to the people, what Jeremiah says to the people is encouraging. He says, don't just sit in the corner and curl up and quit. You're not at home. You're not where you want to be. You're not where you belong. But keep living life. Keep living life. Keep celebrating. Keep going about your day-to-day -day life and live your life. Don't back up and retreat and, and uh, withdraw, but advance. I love that phrase that it says, seek the welfare of the city. If you're being really honest, have there been times this year when you get fed up with all the negativity that you see in this world. And you're like, I just want to go live on a hippie commune, <laughs> you know, and get away from people because people are the worst. 
You know, I mean, the hatred and the anger that we've seen between people because of the color of their skin or because of their political persuasion or you fill in the blank because they wear a mask or they don't wear a mask or, or whatever, but just the hatred and the anger and the hurt and the pain that people pour on and pile on each other. You just want to withdraw and say, look, I don't want to be with anybody else. I'm going to have my family. I'm going to protect us. We're going to look out for number one. Well, that's not what God wants us to do. That's not what God wants us to do. He says, seek the welfare of the city. This city that is out to destroy this city that took you from where you belong. And it's not your home, but seek the welfare of the city. Because in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. And you will be, now this is a paraphrase, but I think it's fair to the scripture. You will be a shining light in this city. Don't withdraw and just sit in the corner and want to curl up and quit. Live your life and show people that God isn't bound to a city in Jerusalem, but he's his people. He lives and dwells in his people. And if that was true back then, you know how much more true it is now? I mean, it is exponentially more true. And he says, pray for the city. Have you been praying for your city? Have you been praying for your neighbors? Have you been praying for the people who cut you off in traffic and who are rude and ugly to you? Have you been praying for the people that you don't agree with politically? Have you been praying for all of your neighbors? And have you been praying for opportunities to share the gospel? Or have you just been praying for opportunities not to get sick? That's important. Pray for that. But pray for people and pray for opportunities for the gospel. Well, the next section tells us this. When it looks bleak, believe God. When things look bleak, believe God. Look at verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. You see, there were false teachers who were saying, well, everything's not going to be all that bad and maybe God's going to rescue and deliver us in just a short time. But he's saying, look, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. So think for the best and do the best for the city. Live your life. Live your life. Fulfill it. Fulfill the destiny that I've called you to do. Live your life and be a shining light. Don't listen to what people say. It was just sit back and wait in your house and you're going to be delivered in just a little bit. He's saying, no, it's going to be a while. So time to buckle up and keep moving. It may seem bad. It may seem bleak. And you might think, man, is it really going to be another year like last year? Or is it going to be 70 years but trust God even when things are bleak. It may be bad for a while, but God is faithful. You know, our family, we were having to quarantine at probably one of the worst times, at least for me. You know, I'm a preacher and I was quarantining during Christmas stuff. You know, that's the only time preachers work during the year, right? <laughs> and Easter. I mean, we got a couple times. But, you know, it was hard. It, it was difficult. And then our family, uh, you know, we, we sent our kids to different places to try to keep them healthy and well. And so our family wasn't together. We weren't able to see Robin when she traveled up from Florida. And it was, it was tough. 
it was tough on me, but it was really tough on Sherry, a mom, you know, to not have all of our kids together under one roof for Christmas. And there were times it was, it was difficult, and I was angry, I was hurt, I was upset, and I asked why, and I wondered, but I know that God's timing is perfect. And one of the blessings that we learned from it in the midst, I thank God that He let me see it, was that my parents got to have uh, a couple of my kids with them at Christmas, and they would have probably been alone by themselves. And so they got to be with them. And we still got to kind of be together through FaceTime. And so there's always blessings, and God's timing is perfect. His plan is perfect. And I want you to know this. Your pain may be preparation for your purpose. It may seem like it's impossible, and it may seem like you will not be able to get through this, but the pain you're going through right now may just be preparation for your greater purpose that God is calling you to fulfill for His glory in His name to shine the light on Him. Well, the next thing we see is this. Keep seeking God even when it is hard. Keep seeking God even when it's hard. Look at verse 12. It says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. He's saying, look, it's going to be hard for a while. It's going to be hard for 70 years but trust that I am going to keep my word. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to help you to see your purpose. And I'm going to help you to fulfill your purpose in bringing me honor and glory. But I will tell you this. Finding treasure usually requires digging, doesn't it? And what God is saying is, is like, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I believe as a people, as, as a nation maybe, and maybe even as the church, you know, Big C Church, Church Worldwide, Church Across the Nation. I believe we've gotten complacent with our idea of God. And we've put God in a box, maybe shaped with four walls and some doors and windows. And I'll go see God for an hour or two a week. And maybe if I'm super spiritual, I'll go see Him for three or four hours a week. But God is not bound in a box. He's not bound in a place, in a building. He lives within the church, within Christians People who've been bought with the blood of Jesus, who've been buried with Christ at baptism and received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church. And where we go, the church goes. And where we go, God goes. And where we go, the Spirit is. And so we need to be reminded of that, that keep seeking God. When you seek with all of your heart, you will find Him. And we've sometimes just forgotten that we need to seek after God with everything that we are. And maybe that's why we're not seeing our lives change. And maybe that's why we're not seeing other people's lives change because they come in contact with us. Because maybe we have not been seeking after God with our whole heart. Finding treasure usually requires digging. You know, if everybody can get access to it, it's pretty common and it's not really treasure, is it? But if you want to seek after God, you dig. God wants us to seek Him with everything that we have. So what does seeking God look like? It's one thing to just get up here and espouse ideas and just have a feeling, oh, I've got to seek God, but let's get real. Most of us, when it comes to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're like, I want to seek God, but I don't always know what to do. Well, the first thing we got to do is dig deeper into God's Word. 
if nothing changes, or if everything changes this year, we've got to take the advice of another prophet who wrote to exiles in a foreign land. We see what Peter wrote in the letter of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, but by it that you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here's a few things that Peter writes to the church. Now what's interesting is these people he was writing to were also in a form of captivity. They were called at the beginning of the letter of 1 Peter, the diaspora, the dispersed ones. Persecution had come and they had been scattered all across the world. And so he's writing letters to these churches. He's saying, hold on. So the first thing he says is, put away your hurtful habits. Most of us, we probably get caught up with the idea of, well, I, don't, I haven't shot anybody today. You know, I'm not one of those bad people. I haven't done some of those horrible sins. You know, I haven't murdered or I haven't, you know, raped anyone or done all this sort of stuff. But what list, what sins does he mention in verse one? He says, put away all malice, you know, hard feelings, trying to hurt people, deceit. Have you ever been dishonest? Come on now, liars. (laughs) You just were. Deceit, hypocrisy. Have you ever been hypocritical? Envy and all slander. But, but God, these aren't really that bad of things. Well, to God they are. Because one sin is all it takes to separate us from God for eternity. One sin. One sin separates. Yes, there are different consequences for different sins, and there are more consequences on earth for a murder than there are for slander. But slander is sin. And when you talk bad about somebody, you talk about them behind their back, even if it's behind a keyboard, it's still sin. And when you tear other people down and when you're hypocritical and you put a bad name on the church by the way that you live, a fake life. And I'm not talking about struggling. We all stumble. We all have sins that get the best of us from time to time. But when you're willfully living as a hypocrite, it's wrong and it's hurtful. And he says, put it all away. And the next thing he says is crave spiritual food like a baby. A baby will let you know when they're hungry, won't they? Laura, is that that true? Yeah. A baby will let you know when they are hungry, and we need to do that. When we are hungry for God's Word, our spirit is letting us know, but many times we starve ourselves. But what we need to understand is we need to crave spiritual food, and not only crave it, but go get it. Go get it. Feed ourselves spiritually. Get into God's Word and allow it to fill up our minds and our hearts. And I I can look around the room, and I won't point any fingers, but I'm pretty sure most of us in here eat more than once a week, don't we? Eat more than once a week. Probably eat more than once a day, don't we? You know, we eat when we are hungry and we need to do the same thing spiritually. We crave it and we go after it. He also says another thing, and this is one of the things that I remind myself, I kind of look in the mirror, so to speak, and you need to do the same thing. He ultimately says this. He says, grow up. Grow up, quit being a baby, because what he says is that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Have you ever seen that God is good? Yes. If you have any, if you're breathing right now, God is good. So what we need to understand is if you are living, then God is good. Therefore, you need to grow up in your salvation. You don't need to be a baby in Christ forever. There's time for you to be young and grow up spiritually, but you need to get to that point, and then you need to be helping other people do the same thing. 
He goes on in verse 4. Look with me there. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what he wants us to understand out of this. You are part of the house of God. You are part of the house of God. Yes, we've already said the Holy Spirit lives in Christians, right? So in a sense, where you go, the Holy Spirit goes, God goes, but he did not call you to do that separately. You are not meant to live life alone. You are a part of the house of God collectively with other parts of the body, other parts of the church. You cannot have a strong relationship with God and be separate from the church. A lot of people try to do that, but you cannot do it. He says, as you're being built up, you are part of the house of God. So do your part. He goes on and he calls us something else. He calls us priests. And priests were continually offering sacrifices. One of the things, I don't think most of us struggle with this but it's been this way for centuries, is that people sort of think somebody who's maybe a preacher, they're a different type of Christian than somebody who's just a, a Christian. <laughs> nope. I am no better. And, and when I'm the example, y'all are like, you know, that's right. <laughs> you know, but I am no better than any of you. I am just somebody who's trying my best to live my life for Jesus Christ. And my goal and my purpose in life is to help prepare other people to do that. And God has given me gifts and abilities to, to help me do that. But we are all vital to the cause of Christ. And we are all priests of the living God, not just one person who has a degree or who is a teacher, but all of us are called priests and we're called to offer sacrifices. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's a lot of stuff right there, but he is making a point even harder than before. You are a priest, a part of the family of God. You have a purpose. You were once in darkness, but now you're in light. But here, let me sum it up with this. Proclaim the light that you are in to the darkness. We all have been in darkness at one time or another. But what we're called to do is proclaim the light to the darkness. Tell your story and tell a lot. Tell people about what God has done for you. Now, some of your stories are more drastic than others, and, and you may think your story does not have any value, but there is somebody who needs to hear your story. And so tell your story to other people so they can know that they can be set free from darkness into light. Look at verse 11. We're almost done here. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So let me sum it up like this. Live a different life. Live a different life than you used to. The old life that you used to live is out to destroy you. You know that? The old life that you used to be in is out to destroy you. So live a different life. And then the last little thing is this that we get from that passage, 11 and 12. Your life is for other people. 
Your life was not meant to withdraw and be in the corner and just huddle your family together and only look out for your family. You were put on this earth for a purpose, and that's to proclaim the glories of God so that other people can experience the goodness of God and leave the darkness and come into the light. You know, I shared with you, you know, how tough Christmas was at times for us. But as I said, as bad as it was, it was also good. Because it made us appreciate the Christmas before that much more. And it's going to make us appreciate this next Christmas that much more as well. That God is always working even when things seem horrible. Even if nothing changes, God is still good and God is still God. So the question I want to wrap up with this morning is the same one I asked you earlier. So what if nothing changes? What if this year is not a whole lot different? I'm not trying to discourage you, but I just want you to think realistically. What if nothing changes this year and it's just as bad as 2020 was? God is still on the throne. But here's the thing. If you change, then everything changes. If you change, then everything changes. Because your circumstances may not change, but if you allow God to continue to change you, then everything around you changes. The way you interact with people, the way you interact with situations, the way that you look at situations changes. And here is the kicker that we all have to wrap our minds around. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And so what I want to encourage you to do, church, is be the change that you want to see. Allow Jesus to change you from the inside out and allow then you to help change other people, change their perspective, help them to see. Seek the good of the city that we're living in. Seek the good of your neighbors. Point them to Jesus. Tell your story. And no matter what happens, know that God is in control. 2021 is going to be an amazing year if each and every one of us live our lives for Jesus Christ. It won't matter the circumstances. It just matters if we're surrendered. So I want to encourage you over these next few moments to take some time and to pray. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then I want you to pray, God, continue to help me change from the inside out and allow your Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. Help me to be ready to seek the good of the city and pray for my city. But maybe if you're outside of Christ, I want you to know the only thing that will change your life is Jesus. And that you have to surrender to Him. And so what better way to start off the year than surrendering it all to Him? That if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're ready to leave your life of sin behind, you confess Him as Lord, you meet Him at baptism, He washes away your sin, He gives you His Holy Spirit, and you can be new and clean. And then we go out and we allow the world to be changed because we're changed. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. But let's make this year different. What if nothing changes? What if we all change the same?